Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Doug Fine, and I'm the principal of Define Performance Solutions, and you are watching or, and or listening to the Defined Engagement podcast, webcast. And today I have Kurt Mueller with me. He is a, a we are in the same area in near Augusta, Georgia, and South Carolina, and Kurt makes his home here along with me. And before we get started, by the way, welcome, Kurt. Howdy. Before, before I get started, I'm going to read a short bio of Kurt's. He's, he's got a lot of accomplishments, so I tried to whittle them down. But Kurt, you have some. Why don't you explain the letters after your name? Sure, absolutely. So I'm a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. I also hold the CHFC designation, which is Chartered, chartered Financial Consultant. The CLU designation, which is Chartered Life Underwriter. And I also have a Master's of Science in Biosecurity and Emergency Preparedness. Okay. You have something to do when the bubble goes up? Yep. I absolutely do. All right. <laughs> so so uh, Kurt's mission, really, uh, one of them is that he wants to impact lives and help clients build a lifetime of financial security. And he's been doing this since 2012. He is, um, during his childhood, he got to live in American Samoa for three years, as well as Saudi Arabia for three years. Uh, he went to the Citadel and graduated in 2005 with a BS in political science. Then he did earn his Master's of Science at St. Louis University in 2009. Kurt has a lovely wife named Megan. They have two sons, Drake and Gage, and they reside in North Augusta, South Carolina, which is just across the Savannah River from Augusta, Georgia. Kurt transitioned into the financial world after discovering his passion for helping others with financial planning. He's changed his career path since January 2012, and he's never looked back. So you enjoy what you're doing, huh? Without question, I consider it a job. That's right, love it. Kurt's career progressed and he expanded and he did get those certifications and certificates behind his name uh, ever since he started. His passion is helping others plan for their financial per per future and he's a, Kurt's an active member of the local CSRA Citadel Club, which is the Augusta, Savannah River area. Um, from May to October 2017, Kurt volunteered his time as an executive chair for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society Light the Night Walk. And your brother is, is recovering or battling his own version of that. Is that right? Correct. Yes, he's battling leukemia right now. Okay. Um, I wish him well. Thank you. Kurt also created the North Augusta Professional Networking Group in May of 2016 in an effort to redefine the way networking is done in the CSRA. I want to hear more about that. Will you remind me? Absolutely. The, the group prides itself on being a very inclusive of everyone and encourages its member to engage with their community, help each other grow one another's business, and inspire others to do the same. Uh, so again, welcome, Kurt. And I want to tell you about the letters after my last name, okay? Absolutely. It's J-A-R-G-T-E-A-L. So it's like Jarg Teal. Jarg Teal. Yeah, Jarg Teal. And it stands for just a regular guy trying to earn a living. Love it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my great. certification, you know? That's great. Uh, so, so Kurt... Kurt, uh, let me let me let our audience know a little bit about how I met you and why I'm so impressed with you. Uh, Kurt has he's just a passionate individual. Uh, he he 
he amazed me the first time I heard him speak because for, you know, relatively in relation to my age, he's really an awesome uh, public speaker. He fires people up. He, he speaks what he knows. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't use, uh, he's not hyperbolic. He speaks, he speaks what he knows. And when, uh, when he shares his family story, when he shares what, what's going on in his life, when he shares the kinds of people he helps, it's just, he's really, he, you, you really are uh, a very engaging person and you're engaged. So you're engaged with your work, you're engaged with your family, you're engaged with your community, you're engaged with all kinds of other business uh, people in, in town. You're a, you're a sought after speaker in the Augusta market, um, just because, because you're, you're dynamic. And so I'm really proud to have you on here, Kurt. So tell me a little bit, why don't we just start with your public speaking? Where, where the heck did you learn how to get so powerfully good at public speaking? That's a great question. I ask that every now and then. I've never been in a Toastmasters group. Um, I didn't take any speaking classes. You know, I just speak from the heart, ultimately. You know, I've, I've read a few books uh, over the years that have the same theme, which is, you know, speak from the heart. Uh, as you said, speak about things that you know about and don't speak about things that you don't know about. Yeah. But also, too, and I go back to uh, the vision, you know, having having a vision and being able to connect with that is very powerful because, you know, when you are speaking, the audience can can feel that energy. And let's be real. I mean, let's be honest. You know, nobody wants to hear somebody that's that's boring either. You know, right. so um, honestly, I do better uh, in my speaking engagements when I simply just uh, wing it. You know, I, I don't, uh, I'm not the type that has a lot of preparation. I don't, to me, it, it actually hinders my ability. So, well, it's actually, that's a gift. Not, you know, there's so many people that cannot say that they get wrapped around the axle when they're speaking. So I get it. So that's a gift you have. It's a wonderful gift. Um, tell me, uh, when you talked about your personal mission and your values, um, I don't know if it was in your bio, but how about just articulating that to, to me and, and to our uh, listeners? In terms of uh, the values? Your mission. Your mission. So, so my mission is, is, is pretty, it's, it, it's more broad. It's not necessarily business focused, but it is, uh, as, as Steve Jobs uh, used to say, is to you know, make a ding in the universe and okay. make the world a better place, simply put. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I think legacy is something that's very important to me. And I always said that when I, you know, when I'm, when I'm gone from this earth, I want people to run into my boys on the street and say, you know, your, your dad was a good man. He may have been a little crazy, uh, but he was a good man. And he always, he always did what he said he was going to do. Um, so to me, that's really, you know, what I focus my efforts on is simply just to make the world a better place and, and, you know, control what you can control because there is a lot of bad negative stuff out there that unfortunately you just can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Stay, stay in your uh, lane, so to speak, uh -huh. and control the controllables. Yeah, like I, I guess you, I guess what, what I'm hearing you say is um, you can change the world by staying in your lane even. <laughs> you know, if you do that well, <laughs> stay in your lane well and, and influence the people that are in your life and that you're, you're helping, that's, you're in your lane. And, and, and that's, I heard a guy, um, I heard a guy say the other day, to me, he, he had lived all around the country and now he is in Augusta. And he said to me, I just like Augusta and I like it because it, there's a lot of regular life going on in Augusta. 
He's lived in big cities. And he says the, the most important thing for him and his family is having a regular life. You know, the routines that they have, the family time, he goes to work, his wife goes to work, the kids go to school. And it just like brought this whole thing about, oh, having to make a huge difference when, when really we have to, you know, we have to have a, a regular life that is satisfying. And, and, then, and then we can go to Atlanta and then we can go to Myrtle Beach and then we can go to the horse races or whatever, you know, then we can go have fun. But what is our, what is our day-to-day uh, -day regular life like? And that was very profound to me. Yes, I, I, that's, a, that's a great statement for sure. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you, you've, I've heard you talk a little bit about your industry. And you are a financial planner. You help businesses grow. You help businesses prepare to sell. You help them uh, with leadership issues in their companies. So I do want to hear a little bit about the leadership issues, too. But tell me a little bit. I've heard you kind of once in a while you get a little bit critical of, of the actual industry that you are part of. You're absolutely right. I do. Um, you know, it, it, and my opinion is that the financial services industry over the last four or five decades has really done nothing more as a whole than simply sell the American public more products. Uh, and most of the time they're products that, that unfortunately clients don't necessarily need. Wow. Uh, I look at two things, you know, I look at, you know, uh, consumer debt, is at an all-time high right now. You know, credit card debt, car loans, short-term loans, those kind of things. It's an all-time high. And to make that problem even worse, you know, the average U.S. household has little to no emergency savings. And so it's really a, you know, a double whammy, for lack of a better term. And I look at our industry as one of the culprits. I won't say that, that the financial industry is, you know, solely to blame, but I certainly think that we have, as an industry, contributed to that. And really, if you look at you know, having, having gone through various types of training, I think it does to some degree boil down to the training that these various companies and firms are giving because typically it is all numbers and product based when in reality, you know, we're emotional creatures. Humans are emotional. And at the end of the day, financial planning, I, I heard someone speak, it was my first year in business, I'll never forget it. And he said, you know what? 90% of financial planning is mental. And then he asked the room, he said, what's the other 10%? And there was all kinds of different answers. But the answer was the other 10% is mental. It's all mental. You know, and I think as an industry, we forget that. And we want to focus on features and products and numbers. But the reality of it is we have to take into account how we think as human beings. And it's no secret that the human brain is designed to do one thing and one thing only. Keep us alive. That's it. And our brain instinctively is lazy. It recognizes patterns and it creates what I call expressways so that, you know, if we see something that's out of place, we're going to take caution, but otherwise we're not going to pay any mind to it. And so talking about a lot of these various strategies and products can be very overwhelming. And so naturally our lazy brain, yes, I believe that humans have a lazy brain. Our lazy brain takes over and says, you know what? I'm just going to, we'll get to that next year or we'll get to that next summer or whatever it is, because it's, it's not necessarily an urgency at the moment. And so at the end of the day, you know, certainly uh, my job is to, you know, part of that is to understand the strategies, understand the codes, tax codes, et cetera. But it's also to be able to connect with people to inspire them to do the things that they know they need to do 
because these are smart people. They know they need to save money. They know they need to plan for their future, but for whatever reason, they simply don't do it. And I believe that a big part of that reason is, again, the lazy brain. And so, you know, when you, when you take an industry that has for decades been so used to selling product, hitting quotas, et cetera, what has happened is there has developed, and for good reason, there's developed a very uh, big distrust in general for our industry. And, and for good reason. And so that's an uphill battle that I fight, something I get really passionate about, because at the end of the day, most of the industry is simply out there to only make a commission. Mm. And so you have to, as a consumer, as a client, you have to look at, okay, where are the recommendations coming from and why are they making those recommendations? And to, in order to figure that out, you have to clearly understand how that advisor, how that planner is being compensated. Gotcha. It is a big, big deal. Yeah. Is that enough? Yeah. Well, uh, you, you you've said a lot there, and and we're gonna we're gonna blow that we're gonna blow that uh, quote up, and we're gonna let the world see what what you think about your industry a little bit. Um, tell me a little bit about your um, idea of helping business owners be better business owners um, financially. Yeah, I want to hear that but I'd also like to know about your leadership. What, what kind of consulting and help do you give business owners that are your clients to become uh, better bosses, better leaders, better managers? Uh, and, and then where did you, where did you pick that kind of, where'd you pick that up? Your leadership development uh, philosophies to help a business owner. Well, I would say the answer to that question is um, I'm a lifelong learner. I enjoy reading and um, you know, I, I, I go back to a quote, uh, from the former mayor of Augusta, Deke Copenhaver himself. He says, you know, true power in any leader is the power to inspire. You know, having having a leadership position by title, you know, if you, there it is right there. Excellent. You know, yeah. So, you know, John Maxwell says, you know, the lowest form of leadership is position, positional leadership, where you're simply a leader just by, by, by title. That's, that's the lowest form. And so, Again, a lot of times when I'm working with business owners, what I realize very early on is that, you know, they are very good at what they do. It might, it could be, uh, you know, they own a air conditioning, heating and air company, and they're very good at that, but they may not necessarily be good at inspiring their people to do what they need to do. And oftentimes they're overwhelmed. They don't have the time. And again, they're getting phone calls from many different people trying to sell them many different things from all walks of, of life. And that lazy brain kicks in and it's that, you know, the, the, the brush off or the, you know, now's a bad time. I'm busy, what have you. And so you have to, in my opinion, if I'm going to provide value, if I'm going to set myself apart because it is a highly competitive business, then I have to do something more than simply talk about features and products because anybody can talk about that. If you're smart enough to go get the appropriate licenses, you can sell any of it. That's not the point. The point is how do you compel and inspire someone to actually take, you know, uh, action on those different strategies and business owners specifically. I mean, think about it. If you think about someone's balance sheet, for a business owner, nine times out of 10, the largest asset on their balance sheet is going to be their business. I often refer to it as their 401k. The business right. is in fact the 401k. And the reality of it is, and again, this goes back to the emotional side of us as human beings, 
the reality of it is, is that it's very difficult for them to think about their exit, their transition, you know, because again, there's, there's a lot of emotion there. And so taking that, you know, taking the logical side of it, factoring in the emotional side and looking at their balance sheet and saying, well, wait a minute, you know, you've got various plans throughout your life but yet there's no plan for the largest asset on your balance sheet. And oh, by the way, that asset happens to be very uh, illiquid and not very marketable. You know, privately held businesses are not all that marketable. And so if they can't figure out how to uh, grow the inherent value of the business, layer in what I call value drivers to increase the value of the business, but ultimately turn that into a stream of income, then what they really have is a lot of sweat equity, a lot of hard work in a very illiquid asset that's not going to produce any cash flow. And that's a big issue. Kind of like nothing to show for it. You know, even after all that work and, and all, everything they did every day to bring services to people, to employ people, they don't have a lot to show for it in, in, unless they're planning. That's right. Unless they're planning. And I will say this, you know, planning, in my opinion, it's a, it's a living breathing document. It's never set in stone, but just simply having an idea of, okay, how, what, where's the trajectory? Where are we going? What does this look like? You know, oftentimes I hear business owners say, well, I'm just going to transition it to my son or daughter. And I'll ask a very, what some people would consider to be kind of a silly question. I'll say, well, do they know that? <laughs> and oftentimes you'd be surprised. They would say, well, no, we haven't really talked about it. And I said, well, you should probably talk to them about it because what happens if they don't want it? You don't want to find that out six months from, from when you're ready to walk away. So having those tough conversations, I think, is really, is really key, but also it comes from careful planning and having someone there to be able to, to you know, be that accountability partner and that coach. I mean, oftentimes I find myself in that role as a coach mm -hmm. and a planner because I've got, to, I've got to coach them. I've got to inspire them to do these things, to think about things that, you know, let's face it, it's not fun. No. It's, it's not, it's not exciting. And we're lazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying there. It's just, it widens and, and I can just see the difference between you and how you approach your clients than all these other people out there selling, trying to sell and make, make a sale and get their commission. You're, you're much more, um, you, you, I'm not telling you what you don't know, but you're a relationship builder with these people because you can't really find out what's really going on until they trust you in, in a relationship. Right? And exactly. that's what, yeah, that's what a leader needs with his or her people too. They can't yeah. just, they have to know who they are and what their strengths are and what they're, what they want to accomplish their goals. You know, there's so much to, there's so much to leadership that ultimately comes down to one-on-one -on -one relationships and regular communication. So I imagine you're kind of an accountability partner to some of your clients. Like no question. I mean, that's actually, it, you know, whenever I put together an engagement proposal, that is in fact one of the uh, bullet points uh, on the, you know, expected items, you know, expected deliverables. You know, I put it down as, you know, I want to serve as an accountability partner in the same way that someone would, you know, hire a personal trainer, for example, or nutritionists. You know, I think all of us, even, even the great leaders of our day and, and of past, you know, I think they all had that, uh, what, I, what I call cadre or accountability team, might have been a few people. Um, because yeah, it's, it, it can be, it, it, is, it is hard and difficult. Daunting. 
Yeah. Very daunting. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I go, I'm going to go back to um, the first time I ever heard you speak at a meeting. And you talked a little bit about your family situation, your, your mom and dad and, and how um, they didn't quite do what you would have wished they would have done for their own financial future. Can you, can you, can you, you know, and, and that really pains you, I think. So I, I don't want to get too personal, but just, just share what you shared that day. When you do share a story about your family uh, and their financial situation, what, what point are you trying to make? Well, I think it all comes down to the power of vulnerability. I mean, there's no secret, you know, the power of vulnerability is, is uh, very real. And when you, when a human being is vulnerable with others, it naturally makes those listening want to be vulnerable and it takes down those defensive walls and it opens up their, you know, their, their listening. And so I'm just very real. That's my style. I'm very upfront. And at the end of the day, you know, I want people to understand, Hey, look, here's where the passion's coming from. Here's where the energy is coming from because I look at, you know, my mother who retired uh, early and, and, and uh, as you said, didn't have uh, really any savings to speak of. And so, you know, I'm having to live that right now as the oldest of, of four kids and having to work with uh, my brothers and sisters to make sure that, you know, our mom's taken care of. You know, that's important uh, because, of course, they, you know, she, she took care of us uh, throughout our, you know, a good chunk of our life. So, and my father... Um, you know, he's in a very similar uh, position. You know, he, he certainly says uh, things like, I enjoy what I'm doing, but I'm not quite sure that's, that's you know, uh, the full truth because I think it, ultimately he's, he's still act, you know, actively working um, mainly because he has to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I always said to myself, I said, you know what? Um, I love my parents. I, I love my family, um, but not on my watch. That, that's not, that's not going to happen on my watch. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that others that I am fortunate enough to connect with don't, you know, end up like that either. Because I want them to understand the very personal and the very uh, real nature of this. Right, right. Um, what would you say to our viewers uh, watching this? What would you say is the Let's say you go into uh, um, either you're, you're coaching somebody personally about their finance or what would be the top three things you'd like to know at first when you're, when you're dealing with an individual not connected to a business but their personal financial uh, state or uh, what they, you know, why, would, why would they call you and what would you say to have them go, huh, I, I want to work with this guy? That's a great question. So our criteria here is very, very simple. Uh, it's twofold. Mm -hmm. uh, num number one, they have to be good people. Mm -hmm. I like to joke that we don't, we have a no jerk policy here at our office. There's just too many great people out there. And uh, to me, I don't put a dollar figure on it. You, you need to be a good person uh, and a good human being uh, to work with us. That's, that's, that's the first uh, criteria. The second is you have to care more than we do. We, ah. we care more about your financial success than you do. It's just not going to work. That's, that would be very similar to uh, hiring a personal trainer and not listening to them or hiring a nutritionist and just not even listening or implementing anything they tell you to do. It would be a waste of money and time, you know? And, and so from that standpoint, if, if, they can, if they can emphatically check the box and say, yep, I'm a good person and I really care, then those are the types of people, whether they are individuals or business owners that we absolutely want to meet with. Now, course we don't know on the front end if we can actually help but I have discovered that you know 
yet, as my dad liked to say, you have to put wood in the stove to get heat. So you have to, you have to give some value. You have to educate folks. And, and it might not be the correct timing then, but perhaps six months, a year, two years down the road, it might be. I mean, one of my largest clients I called for four and a half years. Wow. An idea. So I think follow-up's important, but it also shows that uh, you care. You know, yeah. so I get the question a lot when, whenever we have an initial meeting, I get, you know, people will ask me, well, what should I bring? Should I bring this? Should I bring that? And I say, look, you don't have to go up in the attic and start pulling boxes down. Uh, let's just have a, let's have a discussion. Let me get to know you, vice versa. You know, you get to know me. Let me explain our philosophy. And let's make sure that, A, we like each other. We get along. Uh, and B, that, you know, you, you agree with our philosophy and how we view the financial planning landscape. Well, on that note, what, what, tell me a little bit about your business. Tell me about how it's structured and you belong to a group, do you? It's, uh, it's, uh, tell me about your company that you, are you a partner in it? You work for it? Are you, how are you organized? Uh, you're definitely in business for yourself. I know this. But yes. tell me how tell me how that's organized and, that's a, and a little bit about your company. Yeah, so our, our firm is uh, Apollon Wealth Management, and so we are an RIA, which stands for Registered Investment Advisor. So we're an independent firm, uh, which inherently is one of our uh, competitive advantages because we have no outside pressure from an insurance company, a bank, or an investment firm. So we truly are fiduciaries. So we're sitting on the same side of the table as our clients. Personally, I have what's known as a single member LLC. I have one employee. Her name is Tiffany Garland. She's awesome. Um, and technically, as far as the IRS is concerned, I am a subcontract employee of Apollon Wealth Management. So, you know, I am uh, connected with them so that I have access uh, to a platform of strategies and uh, tools to be able to help uh, people, you know, and businesses put these various things into place. And I will tell you that I came from the world of, you know, really large insurance company with, uh, you know, there was always, there was always an agenda. There was always, you know, Hey, we've got, we've got these products that we want you to sell. And quite frankly, you know, I think it's very difficult for an advisor or a planner in a setup like that, whether it be an insurance carrier or an investment bank, or a broker dealer, I think it's very hard for them to provide 100% objectivity because there's that outside influence. And so, yeah, I understand I'm biased. Um, I believe that the independent planner model, the independent wealth management firm model is, is the, is in the best interest of our clients. And at the end of the day, that is precisely why uh, the firm was started was for our clients period. Um, I am just fascinated by it, it, when you when you describe yourself as like the independent this it, does that automatically come with a fiduciary uh, responsibility or is that something that you volunteered because you philosophically you want to be on that side of the table with your clients you, you get my you understand the question absolutely so be being an independent doesn't necessarily mean um, that you are a fiduciary. Okay. Um, so in the same way that, you know, I have heard uh, um, folks that are affiliated with an insurance carrier or a broker dealer uh, or uh, an investment bank claim that they are fiduciary. Now, 
interestingly enough, there, there's actually a few things going on right now with, uh, in the context of the CFP board where they are challenging firms that have proprietary products or pay higher uh, compensation on certain products and at the same time are calling themselves fiduciaries because it's very difficult to be a fiduciary if you have proprietary products that pay you more money. Right, right. It's very, very difficult. Right. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very, very difficult. And I think absolutely it is a talking point uh, for us uh, to clients to say, here's how serious we are about making sure that we are doing the right thing for you versus what's in the best interest of the company. We might have started talking about uh, kind of outside of the idea of fiduciary as we are talking now, but would you, and again, I don't know the, the, the actual knowledge level of the people that will be uh, joining us here, but tell me, tell us the basics about what being a fiduciary means. I, you know, explain that right. You're on the side, the same side of the table. I just think sure, it's absolutely. So yeah, that's that's the that's the one way I describe it. But it effectively means that legally, it's it's a it's a legal obligation um, that I undertake, which essentially says, you know, I am required, obligated to always act in the client's best interest. Period. Wow. In the story, I mean, there is no, there's not a whole lot of gray area there. Um, so that's a it's it's a, it's a very high threshold. Um, it's something that, you know, for, for your audience, I would say that very important question to ask if they're interviewing a financial planner or a financial advisor. It's one of the first questions I tell uh, people to ask is ask them, are you a fiduciary? And it is, it's a yes or no question. It is not a maybe kind of question. Uh, so that, again, that's extremely important for them to, to, to ask that. In addition, I will say this while I'm on that, is that they should also ask, you know, how are you compensated? How are you compensated? Yeah, you gave a handout out at a, a, a gathering that I uh, ha watched you speak and heard you. And uh, I'm wondering if that could be made available to our listeners. Can they? Can people download that from your site or could they email you for it? Because I think it was something like 10 questions you should be asking your a potential financial planner. Is that what it was? Actually, that one was the 10 questions that um, uh, you were – it was really for business owners. So 10 questions that your financial advisor should be asking you. I um, but if your question, that is absolutely something that uh, I can email to you. It's not on the website, but I can email it to you and uh, I will make a note of that. Yeah, as we you know, what, what I could do, Kurt, is when I put this interview up, I'll, I will put the document there so people could download it right from the inner, you know, right, right next to the interview, if you will. That makes sure. sense. Yeah, absolutely. So email that to me. Um, God, I had a good question. It's just sometimes I forget, Kurt. Doggone it was a good question, too. Um, okay, here's the, here's the question. This is a good question. We'll kind of close with this unless you have something burning to say. But I want to ask you, what question didn't I ask you? What, 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 do you, what would you have liked to have been asked that I didn't ask you? Wow, now that is a good question. Um, let's see. I remember my question, so go ahead and answer this one, but I, I do remember my question. I would say, you know, perhaps maybe uh, well, what sets us apart. Maybe, I don't know if you asked that, but I think I indirectly answered that. Um, but that would have been a good one. Okay, what sets you apart? Yeah. Um, what else would you have liked to, what, what else would you like to say about um, what you do and who you are? And uh... I, would, I would just simply like to say, I mean, for the audience, the, I can't stress enough the importance of lifelong learning and you know, um, just, just, just 
making sure that you're reading and, and as I like to say, sharpening the saw. I mean, I say that word a lot, um, but it's just amazing to me the uh, shift, the mindset shift when, and again, it, it, is, it is something that it does take time and, and it's not, uh, you know, it's not very black and white. It's not exactly quantifiable, but taking the time to simply spend, you know, 30 minutes a day just bettering yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's meditation, whether that's reading a book, whether that's playing music, whatever it is, you know, just simply taking a quick 30 minutes, possibly an hour a day, just to make, just to sharpen the saw, you know? Yeah, what are you reading right now? So I have the, uh, one issue I have is that I bounce around and read a lot of books. So the two books I'm reading right now, actually uh, three, uh, I'm reading uh, The Changemaker by Deke Copenhaver, which you have as well. He's the former mayor of Augusta, Georgia, and we we scheduled him for an interview. We haven't been able to put it together yet, but he was willing, and so he'll be on this show. That's me knocking on wood. And it's a phenomenal book, as you know. Yeah. Um, the other great book that I'm reading is um, Sales EQ by Jim Blunt. And he is a local author. He's from Thompson, Georgia, which is, uh, for your listeners and, and viewers, that's that's in the central Savannah River area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lastly, um, I am reading a book that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was written by uh, Warren Buffett's um, daughter or daughter-in-law. And Warren Buffett is one of my, uh, uh, I wish, well, I wish I could call him a mentor. Uh, he's not, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I can afford him, but anyway, um, <laughs> let me see if I can, if I can pull up the name of that book, because it is a, it is a fascinating book. Um, if I could actually get my phone work. Maybe she changed her name because she's married now, huh? That kind of thing. That could have been. Hey, well, let me ask you, why? Go ahead. Called uh, Warren Buffett and the Interpretation of Financial Statements. Oh, wow. For the company with a durable competitive advantage. And it was written by Mary Buffett and David Clark. So I believe it was his daughter. You enjoying that book? I'm sorry? You enjoying that book? I absolutely am. You know, it's one of those books when you look at it on the surface, you might think, golly, that sounds incredibly boring. They did a phenomenal <laughs> job writing it and just helping paint the picture. So it's actually, it, it, it's a very interesting book and in how he views the world. And of course, we all know he's, he's been uh, incredibly successful. Uh, he's all right. <laughs> hey, um, now I'm going to tell you, ask you the question, then I'm going to ask you one more. Tell me about um, the ability. Our, this, this webcast is going out everywhere. It's going around the world. And I know that different countries have different uh, laws and stuff about investing and financial management. Can people uh, that are in Spokane, Washington, or Los Angeles, California, or Boise, Idaho, or New York City, can they call you and get your help? In other words, can they become a client for you? Great question. The short answer is yes. So I'm I'm licensed in all 50 states. Okay. Now, now if we go international, completely different story, but if we're in the if we're in the United States, absolutely, uh, we can absolutely help them. And of course, as you know, with the age of technology we are in, that's that's very easy to do. It's just, do you have many clients outside of um, of our, our area where we live? I do. I've got a few on the West Coast in California, and I have several uh, in Florida and up in the Northeast as well. Okay, okay. Um, here's the last question. It's a, it's a Warren Buffett question. And, and you may know the answer, but you know, uh, in the last couple months, um, 
the conference board, which is that it's that board about it's the capitalistic monster of a bunch of CEOs that that basically run the the economy here in the United States. Um, they changed their their the way I'm going to describe it is it, it's no longer just about maximizing shareholder value. It's going to be and should be in their estimation about maximizing stakeholder values. And were you aware of that, that that came out that they, they I, I, did, I did catch a little bit of that. Yes. And, and my question to, I, I run a, a, a silly little blog uh, and my colleagues, I, there, there's some argument about it, like, oh, the, the, the conference board's just gone off the deep end by factoring in stakeholders. And I just didn't know what Warren Buffett thought of it. Because he would be, you know, he, they call him the Oracle of Omaha or whatever. I would love to know what he thinks of that. I think it's a huge shift, at least in, on paper, that companies have to do more than just maximize shareholder value. You know, exactly you know how he came out? Do you know how it came out? Uh, do you know what he thinks of it? I don't know. I don't know either. Oh, okay. So uh, I did I, some I big say, You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to look at uh, the motivation behind everything. And if you think about, you know, if we continue to have, you know, this pressure on Wall Street for these quarterly reports, right. and if we continue to tie executive bonuses and CEO bonuses, et cetera, if we're tying that to earnings per share, et cetera, you know, it's very, it's gonna be very hard to, in reality, implement something like that. I think on paper, absolutely, it, it sounds phenomenal. It's how do, you, how do you implement it and then how do you quantify it? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you actually measure if it, uh, it's, that, that's very challenging because there's some competing interests there. Oh, absolutely. So it should be, it's going to be, an, the people that I've spoken to about it, they, they, they want to, you know, where's the beef and show me the money eventually. But it sounds yeah. to me like you, you, you see the good in it. You know, you see that this, this drive for quarterly earnings and, and short-term thinking is, is at least, is that kind of what you're saying? It, it really kind of skews companies to do things or not do things because they're just so focused on, um, you know, they're, they're just focused on the street and what the street's exactly. going to say about. I actually think, so to be clear, I mean, I think that mentality, that short-term mentality works against them in the yeah. long term. I yeah. mean, look at case studies and, you know, another good book, uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. You know, he looked at GE versus Costco and, um, you know, just told the story of how those two companies, how different they were. And ultimately, you know, yes, GE was out in front of Costco for many years, but, you know, what started to happen is Costco is now, you know, completely taken off. And a lot of that in, in, in uh, Simon's you know, view is due to the fact that their upper management and leadership spent so much time and effort in looking at, as, as you said, stakeholder value, looking at the long term and ultimately caring about their employees, mm -hmm. you know, not just simply having layoffs just because you want to make the numbers look better. Right, right. Well, Kurt, uh, thank you so much for this extra time you've given me today. It's been a, it's been a 
super pleasure for me and I hope you uh, gained a little bit uh, in sharing what you know with me. Uh, I, I may be slow, but I'm dumb, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, I, I love learning from you. And uh, I hope that uh, maybe in the future we could do this again. And uh, Absolutely. Uh, I would thank you again for having me. Sure. I enjoyed it. So uh, Kurt Mueller, uh, with all those initials after his name, uh, a fine young man. He's 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 an inspiration to me and a lot of other people. Thank you again for being with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Take care. See you down the road.